Hello and welcome to In Line with Nature, the podcast that explains an approach to building that puts the future of our planet first. With me, Hannah McInnes. In this series, I talk to experts about modern day construction, its impact on the natural world, and why the time for change is now. I'll be talking to our series of guests about new approaches to design, reimagining a built environment that's at one rather than at odds with nature. My name is Marion Goodell, and I'm the CEO of the Burning Man Project. Most people will have heard, I think everyone will have heard of Burning Man. It's obviously so much more than perhaps the event that they've heard of. Uh, it's a mission, a community, so many things. And we're going to hear a lot today about projects that you're working on now and plans for the future. But I wonder if you could explain to listeners really the history of Burning Man and particularly those 10 principles, which I think are all part of what guides also these other projects we'll go on to talk about. Well, the Burning Man started on a beach in San Francisco, California, in the U.S. in 1986. It was a summer solstice, and the original artist was kind of recovering from trying to figure out what he was going to do with his life and was sort of sad about a a breakup and decided to use art as a way to, you know, push through the experience and to do it with others. And he built a man with some friends, built a figure, it was meant to be a figure, and burned it. And he and another friend were fairly shy and people came from all around the beach and stood around and he knew he had to do it again. And that was a very sort of um, just kind of passionate act to burn away and cleanse. And that turned into what is now 80,000 people in the Black Rock Desert in Northern Nevada, where we gather for about eight days, the whole group uh, and the experience is more like three weeks for people building it and taking it down. But the core part of that is eight days. And it is definitely kind of born from the same experience in that we still do build things together. And it's meant to be a place where we separate ourselves from our daily routines, uh, that we don't, you know, identify ourselves really by what we do out in the world. We identify ourselves by how we show up there, what it is we bring, how we engage, and and we play together. We play and we build, and the whole purpose of it is community. Perhaps you could explain, we're going to talk a lot about building. This podcast is sort of based around um, a sustainable approach to building. Mm. Um, but I I feel like these 10 principles that guide Burning Man will come up as we... <laughs> of course. Take. So perhaps you could just run through those, as I'm sure you've done many times <laughs> It's hard to talk about Burning Man and the success of Burning Man without talking about the 10 principles. And they were developed as a response to the way in which people were coming to Black Rock City leaving it, going back to their communities and wanting to replicate it. And we hadn't really thought that far along, but 
we put the groups that wanted to do it on an email list at the time and they would constantly ask questions. Why don't we sell, you know, why can't we sell food? Why can't we have trash cans? You know, remind us how to make it right. If we're going to make it small, how do we want to do it right? And so the founder just started jotting down some notes and he thought about how it was that at the time it was 2004, you know, we'd come along a journey where we were, we were taking what we saw that was working right and enhancing it. And when things weren't working well, we sort of took it away and changed it. And these 10 principles uh, represent that in that they are radical inclusion, which means anyone is welcome at the table. We, we welcome and respect the stranger. Gifting is, gifting was super important because people wanted to start bartering and bartering is a transaction but gifting doesn't contemplate any return for that exchange. Uh, decommodification is the one that's the hardest for people to understand because they understand commodification in that that's sort of like advertising and taking a brand to use it for something. But we want to decommodify. You can't really own the brand of Burning Man. The brand of Burning Man doesn't really do anything for you. Uh, self-reliance is obvious. It's super important for self-reliance and then radical self-reliance and radical self-expression. We, we really want to see people, you know, bring their unique gifts as an individual to the surface, um, even in the format of collaborating, uh, which is communal effort. So we value the cooperation and the collaboration of people working together. Civic responsibility is super important. So we value civil society. We value, you know, the way in which community members not or not just organize to build something, but they organize patterns of leadership and taking care of one another in in the face of danger. And, uh, you know, how are you doing what you're doing to benefit the greater good? Um, and it's interesting that those balance with communal effort and they balance with self-reliance and self-expression. Like we really feel like there is the self and there is the group. And um, leaving no trace is the one that kind of befuddles a lot of people that do something like this. We have no trash cans. So we're gathering for uh, eight days with the core of what becomes 80,000 people. And there are no public trash cans. We expect all the camps to take care of their own refuse. Um, and you won't see trash blowing around at Burning Man because everybody really values that principle. And participation is, you know, we expect people to engage. Um, participating is the way in which we can learn from one another and connect with one another. And, um, and you know, that's what opens your heart. And the last one is immediacy. And, you know, being there in the moment and connecting with the experience and finding that in your inner self is what gives you the depth of the experience. So, you know, not, they're not rules that we monitor, but we have designed them so that they're reflections and that they're guidelines. And frankly, you can use them out into the world and not just um, at Burning Man. And hopefully that's what you imagine people will be able to do with the things that you're also working on with regard to sustainable building, because Burning Man has always been set, hasn't it, in a temporary space. Those principles apply to the temporary space that um, is set up each year. But I know that now you're working on building and creating 
communities working on projects in northern Nevada that are more permanent. Why have you decided to do that? How does that fit in with the whole ethos? Well, it's interesting. The The space that we purchased um, originally was used for one of our events in 1997. And then adjacent property became the storage property for us to produce the event. And when this piece of property became available, it sort of seemed natural to work to acquire it on the one hand, because it was adjacent and we had used it at one point, but it's, um, it's much larger than a practical application. And as we started, you know, imagining what we wanted to do with it, besides the fact that it was on the edge of another playa and would that facilitate doing the Burning Man event, not on U S federal government land, which was a consideration but it really wasn't the driving force. When we looked at the property, it just seemed to lend itself to being able to build and innovate on it. So we're not looking to build a town. We're not really looking to build any sort of community infrastructure. There is a local town that has, you know, a hundred some people in it. And that's where there's, you know, water and housing. But we saw this as a place that could be experimental that it would be land that we could encourage prototyping. And originally, we imagined it really as a place for artists, that artists could come and um, do their work and then large-scale work and possibly bring it for you know, public display, not just at Burning Man, but out in the world. But we met some folks that had been doing design competitions that were environmentally you know driven sustainability driven and artful and when they came to the land and they saw what we were doing which was at the time just sitting with the piece of property and watching you know the birds the flora and fauna which is an incredible array i had no idea that this land had um so much there's a large reservoir pond that brings migrating water birds and there are wild cats uh, mountain lions and also you know rabbits and foxes and so what are we going to do with this property like how are we going to honor it and also utilize it and so the folks from the logging project proposed that we do a design competition that would give people an opportunity to imagine what they could build and what they could contribute and how they would, you know, propose artful design, human-centered design, animal-centered design, uh, nature-centered design that would have a purpose, but be, you know, really beautiful. So what came from it was animal habitat ways to manage uh, wastewater systems, ways to capture water for desert because it's a desert environment. So what are the types of plants and herbs that could be grown there with very little water? What does human habitation look like? How do you build buildings that are not using all of the traditional housing materials, but what comes from the area, what comes from the land, honoring the Native American tradition of the community that still stewards the land 
from a lot longer from us being there. Mm. And that process has been amazing because it included representatives from all different groups, including government groups, including the Native Americans, including locals, including burners, including engineers. And there was a, it was extremely collaborative. It was an incredible learning experience. Is this Fly Ranch that you're describing? So this is Fly Ranch. And all these people, these different groups, brought their hopes and ideas about new ways to build and construct that were more in line with nature, is what you're saying. And it, all of you learned from each other. Absolutely. And we learned from the process of reading all of the 158 submissions to narrow it down to 10. Just reading them gave us a sense. I remember reading some myself, a sense of what was possible. You mentioned government figures as well. I I just wonder when you talk about these ideas and principles, which sound wonderful, emphasizing the right things to so many people, because everybody involved and who you're describing has similar ideals and similar hopes about building more in line with nature. But do you feel that they can spread or do they just stay contained in a community like this one? How can this become something wider, part of a bigger movement? Well, it's really fascinating to be in a process that also doesn't have a fast timeline. So this means that other community members get to come at the same time that some of these designers want to make small prototypes. And so other community members come and they help and they learn. We posted the designs. One of the groups that is a young group of students from MIT, they've begun to make prototypes and their prototype has been shown now at three different gallery and art and design kind of um, events. And so the, the narrative and the storytelling of what is the purpose for it is being told outside of the land itself. And so the individuals that are not just the designers are coming to help build and help with the prototypes. And then we have public tours because nobody lives on the land at the moment. It's not as if it's being owned. In fact, everybody that comes to it is building something that has something bigger to do than just with the land and just with Burning Man. We're using Burning Man principles to work together and we're on land owned by Burning Man to prototype ideas around architecture and sustainability. And the whole point is to do it so that others learn from it. We're not at all doing it so that we can take it. We want to do it so that everybody can learn from it. Mm. Because when it comes to Burning Man, I know that one of the central beliefs is that the Burning Man community can go away and spread these messages in their own communities. So that's very much what defines this project too. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it really happens naturally. You know, that's not one, that's not a mandate. It's just the experience of being part of Burning Man is just so joyful and so fun that you're sort of curious as to, well, how can I make this happen in other places? And for some, it's adopting, you know, some of the learning about some of these design ideas. I mean, our principle of leave no trace changed the way that I looked at my own waste stream. And that was back in 1996. That I, if I had to take all my trash out with me, then I had better bring less trash with me. Mm. So now it it becomes really easy. If you're going to go to Burning Man often, you you think about, well, I'm not going to take all the packaging with me. 
and you take everything out of the packaging, you realize how much packaging there is. So then you start buying things with less packaging. Just because you're taking things to Burning Man and you have to take them away. What if that then extends to how you, and it does. So now here we are, you know, 25, more than 25 years later from my early experience. And, and we see ways in which you can buy, you know, shampoo in bulk. You couldn't buy shampoo in bulk 25 years ago in the same format or in a, in a, in a squishy bag that we see now, certainly in urban areas where we're working to, you know, move things around the planet in ways that have less of a footprint. Yeah, mindsets are changing and you feel that certainly in in the time since you've been working there. And I'm not exposed to it. I'm not in the environmental sciences. I'm not a, you know, I'm not an environmental person, but if, but being in this culture, you're asked to show up in a different way because that's the way the culture expects you. You learn faster about important things like sustainability. Can I ask you to tell us a little bit about some of these materials? You mentioned that you're using experimenting with new materials for construction that are more in line with nature. I wonder if you could talk and tell listeners a bit about some of the things you're using and and how you've seen them work and whether they are scalable in other communities and other projects around the globe. It's hard to actually sort of identify all of exactly what the products are because each of the projects, you know, lean in in different ways to sort of manifest what they're doing. One of the groups that was building the animal habitat is using material from the site. They're using, you know, sticks and wood in order to build something that is beautiful and artful uh, for as riparian habitat. So that's from the site. Another group is looking at using compressed earth to build their bricks. And so they did a couple of experiments recently to take the land and the, you know, the soil that's out there um, because the, the, the property is just so large and it has many different soil types and trying to figure out which of them could they make, you know, compressed bricks from, um, you know, those are land-based site-based pieces. Some of the, one of the pieces is a very large solar, uh, piece, and that's not going to be taking, you know, anything unusual because there's a lot of safety and steel involved, but in that particular case, you know, the design for it is gorgeous. I've never seen a solar array look so stunning, <laughs> like a church. It's huge and beautiful. Mm. So it's a combination that's driven by the design, the designers, because that's what they want to do. They all want to try to find a way to manifest it that would bring it as close to the principles of looking at our planet, our lives in a more sustainable fashion. So they're using different innovative ideas. Some of them have had to come to the area. There's a group. We actually have three, I think four different countries represented. There's the gentleman from India who worked on the project by himself, uh, his design, and his is the solar, beautiful solar array that that really looks like a temple or a church. Um, but there's a group from Sweden. Uh, there's four people, maybe five. And the land and the property, you know, the the land there is so different. So it was necessary for them to come to the property in Nevada and really walk it and consider, well, if we're going to manifest our idea, what are the materials that would be suitable here? So we're, we're in a prototyping phase right now with all of these three. Well, I think all of them have come to the property, but three of them have actually started small prototypes 
because there's a lot of there's a lot of funding involved in it. So we're working to make sure that they can at least begin to prototype before they, you know, do the fundraising for their greater ideas. And that the projects are small, like a two hundred thousand dollar project uh, to a forty million dollar project. So the journey to look at materials and look at design and look at size and look at location, you know, it's underway, but it's a long journey. We're not anxious to see this land where we really do believe the journey is the purpose for this. And all of this, if I'm right in thinking, fits in and with and sits alongside the sustainability goals that were drawn up, published in 2019. Yes, the 10 year roadmap, we call it. Yes, Perhaps you could tell yeah. us a little bit about that. I know to be carbon negative, um, sustainably manage waste uh, and be regenerative. Perhaps you could explain to us this 10-year roadmap um, and how Fly Ranch, I suppose, sits alongside that and generally Burning Man project. Well, that was quite a, an endeavor to actually do the roadmap. Um, it was pr- first proposed to me, in, I think, in 2018. And my feelings were that to commit to something so significant would, you know, potentially set us up for failure because the effort it takes to move an organization like ours, to move the event, which is filled with 80,000 people and ultimately move everything that we're uh, affiliated with, like the land and the property into such a commitment was extraordinary. Yeah, It's not, you know, it's not just the event and it's not just the land and it's not just the organization. It's like we live and breathe all of them in the same way. So you can't really lock one off and say, well, we're going to make the event sustainable, but we're not going to make the land, you know, we're going to take the event off of carbon. (laughs) We're going to stop use of fossil fuels at Burning Man. And I'll be honest with you, it's sent a wave of horror and terror through the organization as the original author started moving the document around And it was, you know, again, just writing the piece was one thing, but for him to then, he's very communitarian. He's the same person also that has been running Fly Ranch. And he is, you know, a visionary in his own right in believing that in order for these ideas to be adopted, there has to be a period of taking in input so that people feel a party to it and committed to it. And that document took in some form or another over a year in its more tight form, probably four months. And I was terrified, but it's been an extremely important process inside the organization to have people become go from being terrified and can't believe we made such a commitment and what the heck were we thinking and it's going to cost us all this money. But then it pushes you towards thinking innovatively, asking yourself the questions of, well, can we be carbon negative on the playa by 2030? Is it possible? We also thought a little bit about the fact that technology, you know, at the time we made the commitment, there are aspects of the technology that didn't create any clarity, but we're three years into it. And there are aspects of technology that for the team, they feel more confident that that some of what we're trying to attempt, particularly around just taking our generators off of fossil fuels at the event. The property that the fly ranch is on is fascinating because we're so tuned to grabbing a generator and taking it to go build a little kitchen to take 30 people camping. It's just what we do with Burning Man. 
uh, and you don't need to, but when we're hosting something that includes others, we that's been like the default. But Matt Sunquist, the person running Fly, the director that's running that program and the Loggy program, the design program, he said, no, everything we bring onto the property from this moment forward is going to lean into this narrative. And some people are like, well, can I just bring my RV and, you know, I won't run my generator. And he, he's eventually allowed, you know, vehicles, but initially it was like, no, we're just going to have trailers or we're just going to have tents and you're going to leave your car over there. And you're going to walk in and, 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 and he's modified a bit, but um, to do the act of learning about your wastewater for groups so that we very early on had groups of folks that were up to 50 people that wanted to come and learn what it is we're doing and to have conversation. Well, you know, well, we, so that was scientists and that was architects and that was people that love the animals and the trees and the counting the birds, like everybody. And, and also just people from the Burning Man organization and board members and donors, you know, well, what, what are we going to do with this piece of property? And the act of just listening and talking, whether it's writing the 2030 roadmap or creating the design, like that made me less fearful because I realized, again, it's not the end game. It's how we're going to get there. It's how we're going to move in that direction. And we're going to do it collaboratively and we're going to listen to each other. My fear went away. It's so interesting to hear you say that. And I think a lesson to a lot of people that it was terror at the beginning, but you did it. And then it just it actually is such an incentive that really drives you towards what you've pledged you'll do. You just have to make that terrifying pledge at the right. start. Um, I mean, you've given so much advice in telling us what you've been doing, particularly just how important the collaboration is and not fixing on, on this time in the very near future. But I just wanted to, just to finish really what advice, further advice you might give to people who are interested in incorporating sustainable construction practices, community building principles, the things that you've been speaking of into their own projects? Well, you know, in my case, we were pushed by people that felt that it was a mandate to look at these values and push me and the organization towards making a commitment. And that was to have a champion is pretty important to not really do it because you think you have to do it because somebody says, Oh, there's somebody inside. Okay. We're going to do this. And Oh, we're going to have a meeting. I went, how are we going to do it? Um, it worked much better for us. And we've thought about sustainability for a while. We have passionate people inside the organization that have cared about sustainability for a long time, but until one person who just made it his incessant campaign <laughs> Until he took the time to, you know, patiently and persistently push us and wrote the documents. He didn't settle with me saying, sure, sure, you know, I'll talk to you about it someday. And every meeting we had, there wasn't enough time. He wrote the document, put it in front of me. And then I didn't read it and I didn't read it and I didn't read it. And then he was, and then he started getting other people to look at it. <laughs> And then he brought it to me and he says, okay, 30 people have given me input. Okay, 40 people have given me input. And finally I said, okay, fine. Because once so many other people were engaged with it, it wasn't, there wasn't room for me to say no. It, that would have been, you know, reversing people, taking people who have been, who's shown a real commitment to sustainability, whether it is building materials, whether, whether it is generators, whether it is the way in which we, place things on the land all of that 
had to have someone to basically become the Pied Piper to have the others get behind it. And, and I chose not to stop it because I knew that I didn't have enough knowledge myself or enough gumption to map out. And Matt was the leader of it. There were many people that said, okay, Burning Man has an opportunity to set an example and that the citizens and the community that come to Black Rock City to learn about the narrative, we have a voice. Mm. We have a huge email list. We have 400,000 people that, you know, half of them open up an email list all the time. Half of the people, when we send out an email, open it up. That means, you know, we have an opportunity to tell our story about how we're happening in Black Rock City, but what other ways are people using important cultural values that can inspire other people? And so my lessons on that were actually just to allow the people that feel strong about it to begin to prototype and to begin to set the examples in front of you. You don't have to do it all yourself. That's what I realized. I couldn't. I didn't know. I didn't have the answers. Mm-hmm. But the team members, and he's not a, you know, he's not, he doesn't have a master's in sustainability. He has a, he's a philosophy degree from Harvard. <laughs> But he, but he, yeah, but he get yourself a passionate Pied Piper, as you call them, uh-huh. and also yeah. write these things down uh, to, to force yourself into seeing where you're at. I got scared when he showed me the document and had all these commitments in it. So I sat with him and I followed every single link and I asked him questions. What does this mean? You know, what kind of commitment is, how hard is it to do it? It took us like three hours to go through the final document with two other people and follow every single link and say, well, does, do we believe in this? You know, because you wrote it and other people put it in the document. Is this, are we going to stand behind this? I feel really good about it now. I'm not, Hannah, I'm just not afraid of it in the same way because we might not make it. But every day we have a meeting now, someone in a department that did not previously think this was possible gets excited because they discovered different fuel for our generators, different vehicles, more bikes we can use to deliver packages inside our Black Rock City alternative forms of building Black Rock City because they were, you know, someone threw down a challenge. It's so uh, inspirational to hear that. And I think a lot of people who feel doubts and fears and and worries about doing it in their own workplace or their own community um, can be consoled by that uh, and excited by it too. And I should say perhaps, um, I mean, I've learned a lot from looking at the burningman.org um, website. There's so much information there, beautiful pictures and videos too. So um, furthering our discussion, I, I sort of recommend that people go and have a look at that. Um, but perhaps you'll come back and talk to us and give us an update because there's so so many exciting things happen. It'd be lovely to hear how things are progressing. Absolutely. I think we're this year, because we've certainly, we've come out, we're coming out of the pandemic where there was a, a bit of work that, that happened up there because Black Rock City takes takes on so much of our energy. And the the other area that we really believe in is continuing to fund and support, uh, produce opportunity for people to come and camp together and do some of this work and walk the land and think of the ideas because that's where new ideas are coming. Just giving people the space to imagine and uh, experiment. And that's really rewarding. And I would love to come back and talk about it as it continues to unfold. And also, I assume, can can our listeners get involved in that way? There are several different ways that you can find how to uh, connect with Burning Man. One of those ways is to go to the burningman.org website. But Fly Ranch in particular is flyranch.burningman.org. 
and that has a lot of information. Frankly, we do hear from academics, we hear from design, business people, because we have such a wide range of things um, that people have been coming out there to do. Uh, we also like to connect people together. So when others are looking for, to me, other people that might do is a particular kind of thing that we've been doing, uh, we like connecting people together and to ideas. So we always love to hear from people. Well, that's very much what the Closters Forum likes to do too. So that's um, a good place to end. And hopefully perhaps our next podcast recording can take place um, in Northern Nevada. <laughs> uh, and well, you're, my friend, uh, Mr. Matt Sunquist would love to have a chat with you. He can go deep. Uh, with lots of detail and tell you about how his journey with the 2030 roadmap and his journey with the Loggy. Um, I love being part of your community and love to share everything that we have learned. Brilliant. Okay. I'm looking up flights. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for, for that. Thank Cheers. You Thank you. You've been listening to In Line With Nature, brought to you by the Closters Forum. Hosted by me, Hannah McInnes, produced by Claire Heaton and supported by the wonderful team at the Closters Forum. We'd love to hear your thoughts, suggestions or any questions you might have about the episode. Just send your email to podcast at theclostersforum.com and make sure to tune in for our next instalment.